0: The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. I love that, that lyric. Your name is like honey on my lips. I remember a long, long time ago when I was listening to an artist called Barry Maguire. Anyone remember that one? Barry Maguire, yeah. He said an interesting thing one time. He said, isn't it interesting that when people are, as he was an American kind of guy, when people were cussing, when they were swearing, they'd use Jesus' name in vain, right? They'd use it as a swear word. You don't hear people going, oh, Buddha! Do you? No. And he, he thought it was kind of interesting how Satan would try and tear down the one name given to mankind that they could be saved by. Your name is like honey on my lips. Sometimes I almost you feel like when you want to apologize to God and say, I'm so sorry for how you hear your name used. But your name to us is like honey. I mean to that. That is not anything to do with my message. <laughs> that was not an introduction. Hey, everybody, I'll make a gross generalization. Everybody loves a good story, Right? Yes, that's the answer. Okay, and every good story has a good beginning. And so I want you to see if you can pick these ones. Once upon a time. You won't get that one because so many fairy tales start with that one. Yeah, Goldilocks, I would have paid Goldilocks. So I am, how about this one? Um, A long, long time ago in a galaxy far far. (laughs) Star Wars. Okay, from now, I'm going to do some more. I, I might get people to put their hands up. <laughs> In the beginning. God created. <laughs> it's, it's not a quiz. Okay, so how many, how many people here today would call themselves a reader? Like, they read books, they read... Uh, they are a reader. They read novels, they read books, they like reading for leisure, education. See, okay, so... If comics count, I suppose. So for those people who put their hands up, now the pressure's on you because I'm going to ask and I will want for hands up again. I'm going to give you some famous beginnings of some famous books. So you can put your hands up. So all the people who left their hands down, they weren't readers, you can just relax. No pressure. You're waiting for the movie. Okay, how about this one? It is a truth, universally acknowledged, that it's... Yes. Yes. Well done to you who put your hand up. Okay, moving on. Call me Ishmael. But your hand was up, eh? Moby Dick is correct. All children except one grow up. Peter Pan, correct. Okay, two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona. Thank you, Kayla, for putting your hand up. Put your hand up. Man! Okay, all right. Once upon a time... There were four little rabbits, and their names were Flopsy, Mopsy. Hands up! How many times? The tale, of Peter Rabbit. the tale of Peter Rabbit. Absolutely right. The Tale of Peter Rabbit. Perfect. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. The Tale of Two Cities. Well done. Okay, I'm going to do this in a kind of a try and get my deep kind of real voice over voice going because this is how it should be read. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that this world was being watched keenly and closely by intelligences greater than man's. Down the back. War of the Worlds. Okay, here's one you might get and I'll do it in a kind of a light and cheerful voice because this is how we used to read it. Out of the gate and off for a walk went... Harry McCleary from Derry. Everybody, every, every, everybody loves a good story. Um, some stories are true. Oh, sorry. She does not like Harry McCleary. I do. She's Okay. There's always, there's always the naughty girls in the corner, right? Okay. Everyone loves a good story. Some stories are true. Some stories are just told to entertain. Uh, some stories are, are used to make a point. Some stories are told to illustrate a truth. I've got one for you. Like, if I, Sometimes if I was going to explain to someone what it's like being born again, what is it like that we are all created and scripture tells us we're all created and God's got a plan for us. In fact, I think um, Brian read a verse recently about that, that scripture where it says that he has got plans for us, of uh, lots of good works already lined for, uh, up for us to do. And how do, you, how do you explain that to people, that, you know, that you're, you're created with a purpose, but sometimes that purpose gets distorted, sometimes your purpose, you, you kind of wander away from it, sometimes that purpose is actually stolen from you by other, other circumstances. How would you explain that? And I'd say, I'd explain it like this. This is a trowel, and this came into our life in a mysterious way. So... The, the origin, it's not mine. I, we've inherited it. Um, I, so I don't know where it came from. But it was, it was created. It was created for a purpose. It was created to dig really nice little holes. I would say it's actually created for actually planting plants because it's got a nice little deep and you can make a nice little circle. But that's what it was created for. But this, it lost its purpose. It arrived at our house because it was used to break the window of our lounge so someone could reach in and unlock our front door and they could steal stuff out of our house. So its kind of purpose got a bit distorted. But you know now? It's been redeemed. It's got its purpose back. It's come to live with the Baines. <laughs> it stayed, it arrived at the Baines, but it arrived under a poor circumstance. It was, it's, its purpose was distorted and it now is used in the garden and it's happy. It's been used as it was designed. And its life has been redeemed, and in fact, it's almost been, in a very Christian term, it's been sanctified. It's been set apart for what it was supposed to do. And that I would use a story like that to illustrate to someone what it's like when God gets hold of you and puts you back into his plans and sanctifies you for the, the use that you were intended for, the plans that he had for you. So that's like a story, right? Yeah. That was an illustration of a story, if you hadn't picked up on that. Everyone loves a good story. We are in the middle of a great story of the Bible, a story that is well told. And like any great story, there are moments of intrigue. Today we have a real Good one. Well, I think a moment of intrigue. And so what I want you to do, I want you to imagine for a moment that what we're going through in the Bible, the story in the Bible, is like a movie, and we paused it from last week, and we're cutting away from where we left Abraham. If you remember last week's, where we got in the story, Abraham had that amazing, well, amazing experience, and he was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac, as a burnt offering. But God stepped in and changed it around. It was an amazing story. That's where, that's where we were last week. We're going to cut away from that, from Abraham, even though, I think, that raised some really in- interesting questions. I was talking to Chris afterwards, and we kind of thought, yeah, okay, so they had that incident where he was going to sacrifice his son. He actually bound him up, had him on the altar, and had the knife where he was going to take his life. And so there were some unanswered questions there f- for us. How did the sacrifice incident affect Abraham and Isaac's relationship? If my dad had done that to me, I'd kind of I'd look at him a bit differently after that. I, I've got no idea. We can't. I, I'm not going to unpack that today. Another question: Did this act of obedience inspire Isaac or traumatise him? He could have been in a position where he thought, oh my goodness, that is how much my father reveres and loves God, that he would do that. He would sacrifice me. That's amazing. Or he could go the other way and go, what a complete nutter. What's he doing? How would God ever ask that of a father? We can't unpack that. We've got all these questions. Did Isaac tell his mum what had happened? You know, they, they, they went. the men went away together, and they were to come back. Did he kind of... You know, if she said, hi, Isaac, how's it going? You wouldn't believe what just happened. You know, it's all these things in this story are just left. And that's why it's such a great story, it's intrigue. Anyway, so if we're in this movie set, we cut away from Abraham, we find that we're in another family's dwelling. The subtitles would tell us that we're in Nahor's place, Abraham's brother who married Milcah. And they've got eight sons. So... Let's just get this going. Let's read today's text. So it says, as, as we cut away, sometime later, so this is after that act, the incident of the um, sacrifice, sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor, us, the firstborn. You've got to say buzz, haven't you? I mean, could it be pronounced, his brother is ooze and he's booze? <laughs> I'll go with us. So anyway, Us and Buzz. <laughs> I don't know did they, if, if they went to school. He would have just been, there. anyway, Us and Buzz, his brother, Kimuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlath, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebecca. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Reumah, also had sons, Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Maakah. And that is the end of our reading. So there we are. This is like a little interlude in our story to catch up with how Nahor is getting on and, and a roll call of the sons with his wife and his concubine. But the intrigue to me is the mention of one granddaughter amongst that long list of boys, Bethuel's daughter, Rebecca. Now, if we we were watching this on a movie, at this point, we would notice that she is very, very beautiful. First-time watchers of the movie would ask, why are we focusing on Rebecca? And, of course, if you've ever been to a movie theatre, there's always some people who've read the book. And they are sitting there, and when something comes up in the movie like this, Rebecca, who's this Rebecca? They're the ones who lean over and without even being asked say, oh, Rebecca, she's the... And she's going to... And later on, and she's going to... And you're sitting there going, what are you doing? So please, no spoilers. Remember, this is a great story and it's well told. Next week, we'll be coming back to Abraham and Sarah We'll find out about Rebecca in good time. And yes, I know you have, a lot of you have read this book, and you know what's going to happen. But no spoilers, please, we're going to get back to Rebecca another time. This is a story out of the Bible which I love. As I said, everyone loves a good story. I particularly love good stories. There's a huge benefit in studying Bible stories. And like a good movie, you know, like you've probably got your favourite movies that you've probably watched more than once. You replay them and go back to them at other times. Going back to Bible stories is a complete—it's like it's, it's a love, but it also can be a really good discipline to do it. To go back to Bible stories and unpack them again and again, because from these Bible stories we can learn about God's character. We can see His divine plan played out through His creation. We get to see the big picture. We can be inspired by the heroes and the heroines of the stories. We can be encouraged by their humanity, because the Bible, as I think Brian brought out this last week, it pulls no punches, it doesn't tell you, it doesn't hide things. If people make a mistake, it's out there, it's put in there. Their flaws in their character are shown. We can be inspired by that. We can be encouraged by the fact that they are human and how God uses them. We can also be warned of what happens when humans don't follow God's plans and the consequences of that. We can learn from other people's mistakes. That is very valuable. And this is all by immersing ourselves in these stories in the Bible. How do we remember the stuff that we're learning from the stories? The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit in us, writes these lessons in our heart. Not in our head, but in our heart. It comes in our head, but it writes it in our heart so that we won't forget. I love this uh, Māori proverb. And I'm going to go get someone who speaks teleo beautifully to read it. I, I practiced before, but I'm not going to do it now. So you're just going to read the proverb to us? Te teke ka te pono ka maru. Thank you. So, uh, in English, tell me the facts and I'll learn. Tell me the truth and I'll believe. Tell us the story and it will live in my heart forever. And there's a real truth in that that stories somehow resonate with us. We learn from stories and it just, we remember them. I, I, I just love that. And that's why I'm kind of really emphasizing the story part. A bit of this passage today. The short text today reminded me of that power of a well-told story. One of the most powerful stories we can tell is our story, our testimony. Personal testimonies are powerful. One day, Hannah and I were driving up Tiara 2 Road, we're heading out of the peninsula. I think we're going out for dinner or something, and this it was just so kind of freakishly, whoa, it happened so quickly. This car came out, you know, as you're going along and you're going past the Z station, there's that little kind of, uh, like a little cul-de-sac that they've, they've put in that is going to be used one day. I think it could be for the Marai. I'm not sure. Um, but it was there. And this car came screaming out of there doing a big kind of wheel spin. And the driver got so far out of control, he actually, I think he almost did a 360, and ended up going backwards, up on over the um, path, and through the fence on that water retention, that stormwater retention pond. You know, that's kind of there in that subdivision. You know the one? Backwards through that fence, and ended up in the pond. And we, what did we do? Do we slow down? We, we stopped and kind of went, yeah. And we kind of thought, okay, under control. Dinner's at eight. <laughs> so we kept going. Anyway, I think my wife, being the diligent citizen she was, she rang the police just to say, oh, by the way, if, that is, is a, if you need any help with that, we, we saw what happened. And, yeah, and it wasn't long after that, we actually got a, a letter to say that they'd like us to appear in court <coughs> as witnesses. And We kind of went, oh, <laughs> here we go. Uh, and then, But it wasn't long after that we got another letter from the lawyer um, who actually had done a very good thing. They'd explained to the young man who'd been driving that car because um, he was going to contest it. He was going to contest the charge of probably dangerous driving or something. He was going to contest it, but she explained to him that they'd just written to two people who were going to come to court and say what they'd seen. And as a slightly wise young man, he realised that, oh, someone saw me. Oh, actually I did do it. (laughs) And so the power of a testimony, the power of a personal testimony, someone who's been there, seen it, experienced it, is powerful and very compelling. So that young man learned a lesson that day. So what can we testify about God, especially what he has done in our life? We don't want to tell people about a distant God. We want to tell people about our God. We want to tell people about the God who loved the world so much that he sent his son to save us. We want to tell them about our saviour. We want to tell them about the goodness of God, our God. The Holy Spirit will always help when it comes to sharing our faith, but there is nothing wrong about being prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Who here is uh, first aid trained? First aid trained. That is decent. Can you put your hands right up? This is actually very good to know. Look at that. So... Big question for you guys, if you didn't put your hands up, pressure's off. Question for you guys, if I collapse, I'm not going to, I'm feeling quite, I'm well. Um, if I collapse now and airways, and I stop breathing, could you breathe life into me? Could you? Thank you. Who's <laughs> the only one who said Yes. Could you breathe life into me? So, people who are here today who follow Jesus, can you testify? Yes. Amen. You can testify to him, his realness. So you can see where I'm going with this. So those here today who follow Jesus, could you breathe life into someone who's dying? Could you breathe life into someone who's dying without Jesus by your testimony, by the story you can tell them? Can you testify? The scripture says we should always be prepared to give an answer. That's what that scripture says. We should always be prepared. So the thing is, for me, it's prepared. And I've covered this before many years ago. I kind of preached on this before. And I think it's important to be prepared. And sometimes, I don't know if you're ever going to be anywhere, and you get a real sense that you need to say something to someone, and you know it's not going to be a long time because you're just walking past or it's just a chance encounter. Have you got, have you got a three-second testimony? Think of one. Store it away. God might use that one day. I've got one. There is a God. There it is. If I've got three seconds with someone, that's what I'd say. If I was on the lift and I felt led by the Spirit as they were getting out to say, hey, there is a God. Because do you know what, what Andy was alluding to before? Sometimes there are people who are searching for God and they might have prayed that very day God, are you real? If you are real, you know, in an almost cynical kind of like not believing kind of way, they say, if you're so real, some day today, get someone to tell me there's a God. Imagine if they prayed that and they got in the lift with you, Holy Spirit prompted you and as they got out, you said there is a God. Can you imagine what that would happen in their life? Be prepared. Have you got a... That was a three second one. Have you got a... 30-second one. 30-second one. So this is, this is kind of like you've, you've sat down and, you know, you've got 30 seconds. I don't know, it, might be a, it could be a long lift. <laughs> it could be a short shuttle, whatever. There is a God. I don't just believe that. I am convinced of that, and I am convinced that when we die, we will meet him face to face, and he will ask us, do you know my son Jesus, and does he know you? 28 seconds. There's nothing wrong with having something prepared to give out when you're called on. Have you got a 30-minute one? (laughs) If you have, and you're sitting down for coffee with someone, or you're on a plane with someone, 59 minutes to Wellington on a good day. But there's nothing wrong with being prepared. There's nothing wrong with it. Yes, the Spirit can lead you and, and it will give you words for the moment, but there's nothing wrong with, with thinking like, what would I say to someone if they asked me, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you go to church? Nothing wrong with being prepared. We need, a, we need to have these stories ready to go. Being prepared is a good thing. We are God's sales team. We are his ambassadors that God was reconciling the world to himself and in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. So, I me, mean, that is a huge responsibility and a, a privilege to think that we, God could use us to appeal to someone to come to Christ. That's amazing. Like Andy was speaking about before, that he's feeling the burden of that, you know, being the answer to prayer. But what if, what if we are the answer to someone's prayer? They are crying out to God and you're prompted to talk to them, share with them. Even a, a kind act it doesn't have to be words. What a responsibility and what a privilege. But of course, I say this, and some of us inside are going, Oh, I could never do this. I could never, you know, oh, it, makes, it scares me. What, what, what's the advice for that, for that? I'm scared about it. Always be prepared to give an answer, right? To everyone who asks you. But what if you're really, really scared? It's just not you. You're not a, you're not a kind of an outgoing person. Well, all you have to do is just expand this passage. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if, you're, if, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threat. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Will always be prepared to give an answer. And more than that, let's unpack it even further. In doing that, we give a reason for the hope that we have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I love that, that behind a good testimony, a good witness is a backdrop of good behaviour. That your life backs up what you're saying. You know, there's that great old saying, what you do, speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. And also, too, I love that, the first part of that verse, where it kind of says, basically, don't fear their threat. Don't fear the threat, what people could don't fear what people could do to you by speaking when you speak out, but revere in your heart God. It's basically saying, in my eyes, don't worry about what people are going to do to you. You fear God. When he's told you to speak, speak. But what if we have doubts? What if we have doubts? You know, sometimes you want to speak to people, but you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I've still got doubts about my faith. I've still got doubts about, um, about things that I believe you are in good company you're in very good company um jumping into the story of uh christ had, had died on the cross and had risen again some of the disciples had seen him and they were talking about it of course why wouldn't they They'd be super excited but there was dear thomas he was one of the twelve this is reading from john 20. he was not with the disciples when jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the lord Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God does not condemn doubts. He takes you as you come. And that's how he dealt with Thomas. So, Doubts is not a problem. There's a song um, I want to play now for you, which It probably captures some of my story of how I feel about God. So, if you can cue it up and just listen to this. This is about believing. Lord, I believe in you. I'll always believe in you. Though I can't see you with my eyes deep in my heart, your presence I find. Lord, I believe in you, and I will keep my trust in you. Let the whole world say what they may. No one can take this joy away. Lord, I believe. I wasn't always in that place. Scripture says that faith, our faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I was not assured Of what i did not see i did not have that assurance and i i wanted that assurance and so i asked god for that assurance um if we if we have doubts we need to ask god to prove himself to us in a personal way we need him to meet us as he met thomas to meet us where our doubts are to meet us in a way that will blow our doubts away so we will fall on our knees and say like doubting thomas my Lord and my God. Because there is nothing better than a story, a compelling story, when that person who's telling that story is assured, is convinced of what they're telling you is the truth. There is nothing more compelling. But I tell you what, be careful what you pray for. If you want God to meet you and give you that assurance, he might give you something that will blow you away. And would will be, whoa. Because that was, it was not long after praying that prayer that I had my little episode. I've told it, the story another time. If you want to hear the story, come and see me. But there was a time when I had a, an episode. I was lying in uh, Waitaki Hospital E, waiting for a brain scan because I had bleeding on the brain. And that is where I got my assurance. I had, I suppose the best word for it is serenity. I had a serenity and a peace that I was going to meet my maker. And I was just chilled. It was beautiful. And at that point, God met me and said, see, it is true. You're going to meet me one day. And ever since then, that song, um, when it says, uh, "I can't, t- though I can't touch, I can't touch your nailed, scarred hands," I have a deep, unspeakable joy that makes my faith to stand. I am absolutely convinced of God's real. I'm absolutely convinced of that. No one no matter what this world says, will ever be able to move me on that. You know? And that's what we need. We need that assurance. So that when we're sharing our three-second, our 30-second, our 30-minute, whatever, story with someone, the Holy Spirit will just flow through us because we believe it. We don't just think it or hope, hope for it. We are convinced of it. So, Let's keep reading these stories that teach us. Let's keep reading these stories that teach us about God, that encourage and inspire, but at the same time, let's keep collecting our own God stories. Let's keep remembering stories of God, the things in our lives that we can tell other people about that makes us convinced of what we're telling them. Collect our testimonies, our God stories, and be prepared to share them. Remember, we always need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give us a reason for the hope that we have. We need to tell them our story, or tell them a story about God, but your story is so compelling. Tell them a story that could save their life. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatutu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.